You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. And welcome to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show and Podcast. I am your host, Richard Franzi, and this is podcast episode number 1570. No, I'm sorry. It's podcast number 1,257. It's one. It's our 1,570th interview, ladies and gentlemen. I am your host, Richard Franzi. We've been on the air since March of 2009, and we're the longest-running business podcast here on octalkradio.net and out of Orange County, California. From entrepreneurship, marketing, sales, and customer care, Barry Lieberman has, co- has you covered. With 36 years of solid experience under his belt, he knows what you need to market your firm digitally, grow your business, and implement infrastructure solutions into your organization. He's a founder of Advantage Plus Marketing Group Incorporated. He's an adjunct professor at Cal Poly SLO, SLO, and he's also a chief marketing officer, at least a fractional chief marketing officer. So he wears a lot of hats. Barry, welcome to Critical Mass Radio Show and Podcast. Thank you, Rick. Very happy to be here. It's good to be here. I uh, met Barry earlier this year, I believe, right. and we've uh, enjoyed our building of our relationship. But for the audience, maybe you could share your professional path to these multi-pronged <laughs> approach that you have to your career now. Well, I'll try to try to do this succinctly, which is not my forte, but I'll work on it. Yeah, you're um, marketing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and a lecturer, so of course we're always a little long-winded, okay. much to our students' chagrin. Right. So with all that said, uh, so basically the first decade of my career was in the corporate world. I worked at Hewlett-Packard, um, started off supporting sales and tech technical sales, and then moved into major account sales, and then major account management, and ran a large major account nationally with a team for Hewlett-Packard. Um, and then into the 90s, um, found a business problem out there that uh, technology companies, specifically software companies, consultative sales, very good at finding or solving business problems when I got in the door. So companies like SAP, Oracle, Cognos, you can name a number of others, were just fledgling or new companies back then, and they were great once they got in the door, but they didn't know how to find that business. So mm-hmm. fell into building the first business-to-business lead generation, demand generation agency for technology or marketing services form th- firm through the 90s. Mm. We didn't know we were the first at that time. We were just doing what <laughs> needed to be done and, sure. and doing what most people didn't like to do, which is trying to figure out how to prospect. And this is pre-digital era. Um, and then in the 2000s, moved that into the digital era um, right. and a lot of middle of the funnel work, nurturing prospects, keeping prospects alive for companies, launching products and getting into launching businesses. And uh, around the latter part of the 2000s, about the mid part of 2000, 2005, started working with students in entrepreneurship and, and mentoring, I guess, lecturing at uh, Cal State Fullerton. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and around 2008 or so, was able to exit the marketing firm. It was actually the second exit for that firm, but exit that company, and um, rolled into doing. At that time, we just you just I wanted to start working from the inside, but not full time, and found that there was companies that needed my expertise in launching themselves into the digital space, into the internet, into social media, e-commerce, uh, or products into those areas, and they didn't have that expertise in house. And so I would come in in, in two or three days a week, mm-hmm. and that became what you now call a fractional executive. Right, very so popular. So build the now. organization. Yeah, systems, processes, people, go and set that up, launch that, and did that for a number of mid-sized and large companies, Western Digital probably being the largest, mm-hmm. Targus, 
QC and then a number of software companies. And also got involved in angel investing hmm. and um, startup world more and more and more and mentoring, entrepreneurship, wanting to finally get into the classroom. And uh, got involved with a number of startups, invested in a few, like many of us, crashed and burned on a, on a bunch, a <laughs> um, few successes out there, and have landed into a role of helping launch companies from scratch. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I went back to get a master's degree, and now I'm, I'm launching Everything Food, which is a food tech company, as well as teaching part-time at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Okay, so we're going to unpack a bit of that, if we can, with Barry Lieberman here on Critical Mass Radio Show. And Told you I was going to go long. Well, that's fine. You gave us a lot to work with, and I really appreciate that. You have a great breadth of experience. When you say food tech, what does that mean? So everything food is building, or it has built, probably the largest, if not the largest, one of the largest normalized standardized food databases um, in the country, and down to the products themselves. And the idea is to enable people to make more informed food choices. Okay. And the idea, and if you think about that, we all have the opportunity at a certain point in our life where we might want to restrict our diet. There's foods we have to avoid due to medical or physical mm -hmm. reason, or maybe we're training for some activity, just want to lose weight, whatever it is. And then you find a diet or a lifestyle that fits for you. But within that, it will typically give you some sort of meal planning. Okay. But it doesn't really get down to, okay, if let's say it says you need eight ounces of high omega-3 oil fish such as salmon, you know, go buy that. But within salmon, there's a large number of varieties and a large um, breadth of quality. So for any food type, whatever you can think of, there is a variety of what's good or what's not. Hmm. And that's based on its nutritional values, its ingredients, uh, its how it was raised, how is it grown, how processed was it, how least processed was it. So we've given a, built a platform that enables you to compare those foods. Oh. Uh, and and I've even created a rating system called the Everything Food Quality Score. And then enabled you to those that are so inclined to actually inventory an entire kitchen or household, hmm. score those parts of the house, parts of it, well, all of it. To, to enable them to better improve their food okay. and improve the choices, um, as well as a person could do that, are they, and then eventually source it. Are they the first movers in this space? I've not heard of another company so, who's trying to do this kind of work. There know? are first movers in each of those areas. Nobody's attempted combining it to one journey. Sounds complex. Yes. And the entire journey I've spoken about, the search and compare part has been out in a quote-unquote market test okay. since March. The rest of this journey, the the ability to search, compare, build lists, inventory, shop online or offline, uh, all through one platform, um, will roll out in January. Wow, ambitious! And final question on them: What's the revenue model? So the revenue model will be a affiliate commission on those people that end up purchasing through the site. Oh, okay. So the site will have, think of kayak, you know, like the aircraft where you can go to different sites. Yeah. So with every food, you may get to a point that you've selected all the foods and then it'll present you with a number of different choices of how to source the food online okay. uh, if you choose. And then you might say, okay, I can get these items at an Instacart you know, these items through Amazon, these items through Whole Foods, right. and just place the orders. You'll end up on those sites, check out, and the food will come to you. Great. And then we get paid a commission on that. Right. There's also a business-to-business -business side of the, of the platform for dietitian nutritionists. Hmm. That will have components as well, uh, pricing models there, and then all the other things that come with building a large data analytics. And the company's name again is Barry? Everythingfood.com. Everything so for listeners who are maybe 
curious to the model? Can they go and look at that now? Yes, the initial uh, portion of it that enables you to search the database and compare products is out at everythingfood.com. Okay. And then the rest of the pieces that we'll be rolling out during the next quarter. I love it when we have entrepreneurs on the show who have some type of socioeconomic or macroeconomic trend behind them. And this, you know, what we put in our mouth, people are much more aware now than in my lifetime, at least, than we were decades or, you know, before. So I think this sounds like a business model that has found its time. It's The mission is to improve the overall level and quality of the food that people right. consume. Through awareness. Through by purchasing dollars, how we spend our money will determine will raise the level of food if we start rejecting. Right, because you have an informed consumer. That's right, and they have a basis from which to make a decision, which today can be very confusing. That's it's right. marketing terms. Those damn marketing people. It's all these marketing <laughs> terms. What do they really mean? That's right. Right. That's right. All right. So you must be really uh, jazzed about helping this company to build. Very this excited. Business. It's it's. It's kind of a culmination of a lot of years yeah. to be able to put something like this together right. and be part of it Ambitious, and to drive it. But yet making a positive difference in people's mm-hmm. lives. This is awesome. It's so exciting. let's talk about being ambitious and making a positive impact on people's lives through your guest lecturing and as an adjunct professor for Cal Poly uh, SLO. So, so t- tell me, how did that, I know you did the work, you, you were an instructor at Fullerton for years, but how do you go from Cal State Fullerton to San Luis Obispo? Yeah, so I in the past I had been doing... All the things you can do with without getting into the classroom and teaching an entire course. So over the that past like a heavy load. 10, 12 years have been guest lecturing, conducting workshops, being a mentor coach in the in incubators, um, coaching startups. Yeah, but those are all um, controllable activities. I mean, those some are degree, all, you know, you I mean, they're, they're make yourself part-time. available. Right. Yeah. And it's a give back and it's right. wonderful and it's, it's incredibly rewarding. And right. as you do more of it, you start realizing, well, this gives you even instead of going to work and coming home tired, you go do this and you come out jazzed. OK. And uh, so that was always leading me towards, a, you know, in a, in a career like I've had, I don't think I planned any of it. <laughs> it just is one of those things that evolved and and. Being a little slightly ADD, it was like, oh, what's the next thing I got to go do? <laughs> bored, yeah. You know, you have to keep reinventing. But the one thing that I really enjoyed when I was an undergrad was a few of the lecturers who had also were working out in business at the time. And Cal Poly was really good about doing that and bringing people like that in. And I, so I always thought, you know, someday when I get into my 60s, I'll like, or well, originally planned to do it in my 50s, but it turned out to be 60s, would like to go back and teach at a university. And I hadn't really said for sure it would be Cal Poly. That was always kind of a, a possibility. Um, and then through all of these different activities that were volunteer, uh, you know, it got getting closer and closer and getting better and better feedback and more and more encouragement to one day at the ripe old age of 59, I said, I'm going to go get my MBA because you have to have a master's to teach at the universities at least, right. at minimum. Right. And therefore, or I went back and finished that in May and just through a number of circumstances I was not planning to commute three days a week to San Luis Obispo <laughs> I was planning far. to stay here and right. do it at, at the local schools that I have a lot of friends with and relationships sure. with but it I had some relationships up there and everything just fell into place and I'm very happy I chose that school so from uh, from that perspective what do you what have you learned about uh, this generation that's coming through Cal Poly right now and the students in the discipline in which you're uh, educating them, my We're friend. in good hands. Okay. I mean, we really are. I, I really, a lot of people say, oh, this group or this generation or millennial yeah. this or somebody that or Gen Zs. Yes. They work hard. They, in every single assignment, 
um, or exercise, they exceeded my expectations. I found that I learned quite a bit from them about what works, how much how much time to lecture versus to guide. Mm. Um, I taught entrepreneurship, introduction entrepreneurship course. Uh, it was very experiential. Well, Every, that's good. Quite a bit of exercises, quite a bit of cons- student interaction, a lot of outside activities. And then the other course was a technical complex selling course. And they, and they were to two different majors. Hmm. Well, the entrepreneurship was across cross-functional. Um, any major can can take that course, and the other one was specifically within a particular major. And in each case, I found that the challenge was getting the interaction in the room, unless you create an exercise or those environments. Then they would interact with themselves quite a bit, and then with with you as little as possible. Right. Uh, but as it turned out, then you think, are they listening? And you ask questions, and you think some are involved, some are not. They're not listening, and then they turn go in and do their work. And you come back and realize they were listening very well. Okay. And quite impressive. And some of the, some of the ideas and some of the presentations and projects they did. And we just finished uh, literally last Thursday. Right, yeah. I mean, is it on a quarter, semester? Quarter. Quarter, okay. This was finals week, but I chose not to force them into a final week. Oh, they this like week. you. And uh, with all that said, it was the final presentations and et cetera, or the culmination of the project. How many kids are in a class? So one class was 32. Okay. And the other one was 42. Okay. A day and evening? What? So the f- I taught two to four. T- t- classes were two hours each, Tuesdays and Thursdays, back to back. Oh, my which God. Funny is, thing is, I thought, and many people thought I was nuts. Uh, first time doing I'm it. I'm being one, yes. First quarter, just learning how to right. teach learning the materials or creating the materials for one class. Wow. Yeah, I'm just kind of a glutton for punishment. Right. But as it turned out, I really liked that. Because for me, like I said, I, f- I feed off the energy. Okay. Uh, and I actually would come out of those four hours with more energy than I usually went in. Wow, that's good. So for me, it worked out. So next quarter, the t- I'll be teaching two classes, but they'll be three hours apart, and that will be interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, but um, get a little time to do something else, maybe. Yeah, maybe get a bite to eat. Maybe get a bite to eat. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Like that. Well, that's great. So, what have you learned from teaching as well as being a practitioner? I mean, has it made you better at your day job? In other, I mean, it, has it? Have you seen? And un, I'm, I love unintended consequences. Mm-hmm. Right, it's my third book. So, what was the unintended consequence back into your professional life from being in the classroom as heavily as you've been this year? It's very cross-functional, especially since the subjects that I'm teaching relate directly to the work I'm doing. So I take the work that I'm doing and bring it into the classroom to show them that this isn't theory, or we're not making you do a whole bunch of just exercises to that are academic. Brought in a tremendous number of guest speakers, mm. some of which I would have not had access to if it were not that I was asking them to come in and guest lecture and give That's back. That's true, yeah. They would, I wouldn't go up on time of day, but right. because I was asking that, that was my ask, that not only helped the students and helped the school by bringing in people that hadn't been exposed to the school or, or, or needed to be exposed to the entrepreneurship program that's there, mm-hmm. which is very, very good and very extensive, but also became contacts and relationships that I'll carry forward into my business life. Smart. Vice versa, in the classroom, you know, you're bringing in expertise and getting real-world impact into the class. But we're also, I'm sharing what I'm doing to launch the company with their, with one of the classes, which was all about coming up with an idea, ideating the idea, of mm-hmm. coming up with, and basically that idea being, are you solving a problem? And I bore you the whole thing, but then you 
find out you know what's a problem out there how do you find out if the problem's real is it valid are there are people that you can get to that are early adopters that are in pain mm-hmm. you know can is that valid you know can you develop a solution validate the solution create kind of a prototype all of that in 10 weeks um, and then have the people coming in and commenting along the way but by and then showing the students hey all these different things you're doing and showing example showing them examples of it actually happening in the real world, especially since we're doing exactly this right now, is taking an idea and launching it and rolling it out right. and bringing in and showing them it's those those exact exercises that they're seeing done in class, how they're actually being implemented or were implemented out mm-hmm. in the real world. Vice versa, you start seeing coming across exercises and things that you do in the classroom, you realize and go, we need to go back and do this at the office. <laughs> you know, we didn't do this. We skipped this or we skipped that. Uh-huh. Be right. more disciplined. Yeah. yeah. Or you just, you just, you've done it so many times, you're just moving, you know. Right. Fresh and set of eyes then, maybe. The students are fresh set of eyes. On fresh the set of eyes, or they just, you just end up looking at it and saying, well, wait, wait, we should go back out and do this exact, you know, early adopter exercise or this, or this, you know, customer interview approach. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, let's bounce it off this audience. So there are CEOs and business owners that generally listen to our show, either live here on OC Talk Radio or as a podcast. And, the challenge may be in their mind is how do I motivate and inspire the Gen X and Gen Y and Gen Z, you know, the younger generations that are younger than maybe the boomers who are maybe and many times still leading some of the more traditional companies out there. From your, you had to be on stage for uh, two hours with a room full of Gen Zs now. If there was one lesson that you could pass on to them about how do you get them not just to pay attention but to become engaged, what have you learned from having to frankly hold attention like that there's some things you have to do where you have to decide it's like picking battles there's sometimes where you have to decide look we got there's material we have to cover we're going to have to go through and go through this so let's go through it try to make it as interactive as you can try to take every a lot of the statements you want to make and turn them into questions with the with the audience hmm. And you could do the same thing with people. If there's a point you want to make, sometimes you can make the point by shortly or start it and then finish it with a question hmm. or vice versa. Start with a question, get an answer that isn't the right one that you're shooting for or, or a whole bunch of interaction right. from the room or the, the meeting and then come back and say, well, that somebody may have hit on the point, then, you've, then you, of course go exactly right that's the point and then you riff on that point mm-hmm. or you bring it around and say well here's the po- the point of this is that based on your answers and either way generally people are dancing around or very close to the answer if you prepped prepped it properly so that's one thing that 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 works very well and then the idea is always taking that and turning it into some practical you know exercise or if it's in the business world turn it into what is the task or activity and then empowering the per- the people to do that even if you know there may be mistakes, mm-hmm. you know, it's okay, build that into your processes and your business plan. And of course, in an earlier company, you're doing so much experimenting that mistakes are what you're looking for. Right. Right. The, the biggest thing that, that we try to teach is, you know, going to market or bringing a business, it's a science. It's, it's not innovation. It's not about creativity. Matter of fact, the difference between an innovator and entrepreneur is an innovator comes up with ideas. Entrepreneur focuses on making money and profit. <laughs> 
from an idea. Right. So most of the, so you're, that's the difference is how do you out turn this into something as a business? Mm-hmm. Right. And then, then later you figure out now how do you scale that business? So in the early stages, you're doing a lot of experimentation, a lot of trying to figure out what doesn't work. Uh, and then you move into scaling Then scaling gets them into more about engaging people in processes, systems, and the more engaged people in developing those processes and systems, the more involved they'll be. So, uh, my engineers told me that we are at time, Mr. Oh, okay. Lieberman, and it's been, you. right, it goes by quickly. Um, if someone would like to learn more about you or the work that you're doing, where would you direct them to go to learn more about Barry Lieberman? The best thing is, to, is contact me directly, okay. email me, okay, and they can email me at um, barryl at apmg.com. Or just info at apmg.com. Or connect with you on LinkedIn, I take it? Connect with me on LinkedIn, or if it's related to Everything Food, Lieberman at everythingfood.com. And how do you spell Lieberman? L-I-E-B-E-R-M-A-N. Thank you, my friend. Thank I you. knew we could fill 20 minutes talking about your background and what you're currently doing. I love the fact you're doing a lot of things, and thank you for making the commitment to going up to San Luis Obispo and educating the next group of leaders that are coming into the business world. Thank you. I appreciate You've you having me on the show. Friend of the community and a part of the critical mass community, so it's great to have you finally on the program. Thank you. You're welcome. Appreciate it. All right, and I'd like to thank our engineer for today, Mr. Paul Roberts, and uh, the three producers who we couldn't do this show each week without their help and guidance, Joan Park, Crystal Nunley, and our newest producer, Vanessa Holland. Uh, until our next show, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi.